Hi, and welcome to Port Academy, an international podcast that combines pop culture and academics. We post a new episode every Monday. Today, we're going to talk about Rome's rise to dominance over the Mediterranean. And for this, we'll have to start at the beginning. When dinosaurs roamed the Earth, our world's landmass was configured different from how it is now, with most of the land coalesced into only a couple of supercontinents. One of these was Gondwana, which consisted of Africa, South America, India, Australia and Antarctica. The other was Laurasia, which is mostly North America and Eurasia. These two supercontinents were separated by the Tethys Sea. Since the demise of the dinosaurs 65 million years ago, these supercontinents have been breaking up and moving about in a development that continues to this day. These tectonic processes led to the fragmentation of the Tethys Sea into numerous basins as well as the uplift of mountain ranges and peninsulas along its shores. For example, the Western Mediterranean, the Eastern Mediterranean, the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. So these are all remnants of this old Tethys Sea. And the latitude, biodiversity, topographic heterogeneity and the hinterland of three whole continents made this Mediterranean zone one of the main stages for the early development of civilization and for a game that numerous societies have played throughout recorded history. The game goes like this. Develop a new ethnicity on one of the peninsulas surrounding the Mediterranean. Then rise to prominence on your peninsula and dominate it. Start dipping your toes into the waters of the Med and attempt to project your power across the basin on whose shores you are living. If all goes well, keep expanding outward. The Greeks played this game multiple times from their peninsula. The Phoenicians played this game as well. Many others got far as well. The Ottomans, the Spanish and so on. None got as far as the Romans. Over the course of a couple of centuries they managed to take out all other major contenders one by one until they got to a point where they could rightly call the Mediterranean their Mare Nostrum, our sea. This is Sparta! History in movies. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Das war ein What we do in life echoes in eternity. All right, but apart from the sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, roads, a fresh water system and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? Hi, everybody. Hi, Gil. How's it going, man? Hey, man. So I'm really looking forward uh, to this conversation. And I have to say that my main takeaway from these movies is... Uh, Sadness. Sadness? Sadness. Oh. Yes, these movies made me sad. Mm. Really sad about the demise and the disappearance of this ancient world. Rome basically ended the ancient world. We kind of know from uh, uh, ancient uh, DNA from thousands of years ago and also from more uh, isolated places like uh, New Guinea that... Before the so-called uh, classical times, there was even more diversity, actually, locally, mm. so more sort of population genetic yeah, diversity, sure. probably also more linguistic diversity. And already huge homogenization had been taking place to get to the point where we kind of jump into the story here. And it's only gotten worse, obviously. Like now, when you go uh, to any Mediterranean country, you can go to the IKEA and it has the same uh, uh, layout and uh, you can go to the McDonald's and like obviously now capitalism has homogenized things even more. That is very, very true. So let's go over our movies. Let's go for, uh, over our movies. Uh, one thing that is a slight uh, just preface to everything else is uh, the film Alexander from 2004 by Oliver Stone, which, which I guess I'll reference here and there a little bit. Yeah, for the context. About Alexander the Great. So obviously not about Romans, but an important kind of pre-premonition almost of what was to come. Next 
is a film that we have as basically the placeholder while we are waiting for a good film about Hannibal. <laughs> this is the story of a general who pushed his army to the limits of human endurance. The story of a mind so brilliant that it brought Rome to the brink of destruction. But above all, it's the story of how history can turn on a single decision. A TV movie from 2006 uh, about Hannibal, who famously crossed the Alps with his elephants and mm. uh, terrorized Rome and inflicted heavy casualties at the Battle of Cannae, etc., etc. Um, I wish there was a better movie about that. Yeah. And then the Carthaginians are bowing out over the stage of history and are no more. And we know very little about them because of that. Yes, yes. Hannibal uh, takes place during the uh, Punic Wars, and now we are in about uh, 200 BCE. Third movie is a classic uh, Hollywood extravaganza. Uh, Liz, Liz Taylor as Cleopatra in 1963. Caesar's dream of conquest included the ambitious Cleopatra at his side. Do as you say, literally, as if I was something you had conquered. The first century BCE. Yes, this is when Egypt is uh, brought into the fold. The last uh, pharaonic uh, lineage who are actually Macedonians, they then uh, end. And she plays the Game of Thrones. Like she goes all in, she loses. As you mentioned, it wasn't uh, strictly like the ancient Egypt of old because nothing also ever stays the same. But there were strong remnants of these thousands of years kingdom that developed and changed over the over millennia now leaving the stage exit stage left yes and then after that oh we uh, move a little bit for, forward to the year zero the year zero what happens in the year zero by the way there is no year zero hey there's minus one and then one it's the first year so the romans they control uh, where i live now this is Judea mm -hmm. and uh, later uh, called uh, Palestine. Mm -hmm. Anyway, there are a lot of movies about that period before and after the year zero. Uh, for example, Ben Hu mm -hmm. from the year 1959. You may conquer the land, you may slaughter the people. That is not the end. We will rise again. The day Rome falls, there will be a shout of freedom such as the world has never heard before. I believe in the past of my people and in their future. You are a conquered people. Hebrews, the Jews, whatever, were uh, unruly, big unruly, expelled uh, throughout uh, the empire and beyond. Uh, then we go fast forward a little bit more to around the 180 CE uh, to the epic, epic, epic gladiator. What do we do in life? Echoes of eternity. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. The main, our main guy is actually from Hispania, the province. So when he travels back, of course, we all know the very tragic scene when he has to go back to his little uh, villa and there's his wife and his daughter after she was uh, again and again. It's his son. He has a son, no? Has a son, not a daughter. Oh, did I say daughter? Uh, no, son. Anyway. Um, that's in Spain. And then when he uh, uh, has his uh, training, in the his first successes in the arena is in uh, North mm -hmm. Africa. So there's a little bit of traveling around the Western right. Mediterranean basin. Okay. And then to cap things off? Cap things off when finally the common era really takes hold and uh, Christianity uh, reigns ascendant in Alexandria in this case because then we cap it off with the film Agora Wonderful. from 2009. In the last days of the Roman Empire. Where are the troops? No army could contain that mob. 
He's calling for the annihilation of women and children. As long as God grants me the strength, I will purify this city. We will continue to do the same thing over and over again until there is no one left in the city. No people for this government to govern. Syncretic, late Roman, uh, Alexandria with a bunch of different religions uh, vying for dominance. And I feel like like this movie, out of all the movies, is like a, a love letter to the to the dead, dying, whatever old world. Production value through the roof. You can yep. you can feel the ancient world. It's like the overall feel of the movie mm-hmm. is you can you can sense it. You can you can smell it. A lot of sweat, by the way. Yeah. Now the the architecture is supposed to have been really on the mark, and it is this mixture of Hellenistic architecture, Roman architecture, and ancient Egyptian uh, uh, remains. And that's very nicely done. Okay, so let's go back to the timeline. Let's go back to the movie Alexander the Great, the heir to the throne, who becomes the master of Asia from old. I drink to our Greek friends. And to our new union, Macedonia and Greece, equals in brightness. To Philip, our king, without whom this union could not be possible. Come, Atlas, leave some damn air in the hall. (laughs) So, uh, Alexander has major conquests coming out of Macedonia. First, his dad basically already kind of unifies slash dominates the rest of uh, Greece or, you know, sort of the people who consider themselves Hellenes. Uh, But then uh, Alexander ascends to the throne quite uh, young and he goes on a massive killing spree. And he uh, first sort of goes into the Middle East, North Africa, Egypt, defeats the Persians, famous battle at Kaukamela, and then he goes just further east, 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 ends up in uh, in India. They also created this very kind of syncretic situation where you had a bunch of kingdoms that kind of merged local customs with, with Greek or Macedonian uh, uh, customs. They conquer enormous territory. Then Alexander dies young. There's nothing really arranged for how the empire is going to be run once he's gone. A civil war ensues, and basically his 12 kind of generals or leading guys, they uh, all think that they kind of deserve to be in charge of most of the empire. Uh, One of them is in Egypt. So this is the beginning of Ptolemaic Egypt, uh, which then is run by Anthony Hopkins, in Alexander. It takes strong men to rule. Alexander was more, he was Prometheus, a, a friend to man. He changed the world. So, and that sticks around until then Cleopatra, who's also Ptolemaic. So that world was kind of created before the Romans came around, this world of a whole bunch of different kingdoms that were kind of in the same cultural sphere. Someday I bow to you! Your sons and your grandsons will look into your eyes. And when they ask you why you fought so bravely at Gaugamela, you will answer with all the strength of your great, great hearts. I was here this day at Gaugamela for the freedom and glory. dramatic scene in the film and then that scene is depicted in a mosaic in the palace of Anthony Hopkins who then is recounting that much later in life so he's reconstructed that mosaic uh, as a memory of their uh, shared exploits and that same mosaic comes back in uh, Cleopatra ah okay so that's kind of neat so you want to go to to Hannibal and uh, the demise of uh, the Phoenicians? <laughs> 300 years before the birth of Christ, the ancient empire of Carthage ruled the Mediterranean until Carthage was challenged 
and brutally defeated in war by Rome. They are in uh, Tunisia, Libya, that area, like a half a peninsula. I don't know. It's like a bulge or something like a bulge. Yeah. And they have their Phoenician uh, heritage, uh, emphasis on trade, and they go even further west, right? The Phoenicians, even to to Spain, yeah, Spain, uh, Morocco, sure, yeah. yeah. So they're into trade and uh, baby sacrifice mostly. Yes, uh, they're basically the Lebanese, uh, or maybe Canaanite, you might say. Uh, the language was a Semitic language, and yeah, they were from the Levant originally. Which is why they do the baby sacrifice. Yeah, yeah like Tyre, Tzor, Sidon, uh, Sidon, like the north, uh, no. north of Israel and south uh, of Lebanon. Yeah, like yes, yeah. they were more like uh, city states. Yeah, Phoenician is from Greek. That was what the Greeks called them, and it's actually a reference to this pigment, this dye. From these the murex uh, shells, which are these uh, sea sea snails, purple, and it's it ranges between purple and kind of blue to red. It depends a little how you cure the uh, pigment. Uh, it's kind of in that range, and it's it's actually everywhere. So the Romans they had this uh, figure of speech where somebody was said to be called to the purple. And that basically meant if mm. you were like a Kennedy or a Bush or a Clinton, and you were kind of in the upper elite, you were destined for you know, public affairs in the Republic, right? A senator or maybe higher, you know. And that was obviously a reference to these togas that were dyed with that purple. And then, of course, especially the emperor, who was also the Pontifex Maximus, right? The high priest had that purple. And therefore, the cardinals and the pope also still have that same purple, except it's now just mm-hmm. synthetic dye. But, okay, here comes an interesting factoid. Um, prayer shawls, what are they called again? Tzitzit. Yeah, I suppose. that They have a blue trim. I've, I've never looked at them up close. Okay. <laughs> Usually, like, they're under the clothes and then they just uh, come out, like the strings uh, come out under your shirt. Yes. You will rarely, since I haven't put one on, <laughs> maybe in my bar mitzvah, I don't remember, Okay, so there's a blue, a blue trim. Okay, yeah, and that's also the blue lines on the flag of Israel. It's a reference to that. Oh, okay, that's the same pigment. Really, yeah. the blue of the flag of Israel is the same pigment as what the Pope wears. <laughs> But the Romans, they're very good at making war. Mm-hmm. So they become stronger and stronger along their peninsula. And, you know, this uh, Mediterranean isn't big enough for the both of them, the Romans and the Carthaginians. So war is yeah. inevitable. It's come to our attention that you've made military threats against the city of Saguntum. I have. Saguntum is an ally of Rome. She has our full protection. Saguntum is a city in Spain. Not Italy. And yet she continues to attack Spanish allies of Carthage. Tell me, Caius Terentius Varro, if this was a city on Roman soil, what would you do? I trust you understand the rules of engagement. Make war on Saguntum, and you make war on Rome. And Sicily, there's a couple of different city-states or influences there. Syracuse is basically also part of the Greek world. Uh, But there's also uh, Carthaginians are there. And then once all the Greeks are kind of gone, okay, then it's crunch time. Now it's uh, Carthage and the Romans uh, against them. And they're roughly equally matched in territory initially, except then the Romans are basically the whole boot of Italy. And Carthage is more coastal strips in uh, in the Maghreb and kind of then also going into Spain um, and into the, the big islands of the Western Mediterranean. So Sicily, Sardinia, Corsica start out as uh, basically part of Carthage. And then after the first Punic War, I think they've moved into Roman hands. Then the second Punic War is the one with Hannibal and the elephants. And then there's a third war where Carthage itself is like 
finally destroyed. I think it was Cato, right, who said after every speech, I'm also of the opinion that Carthage needs to be destroyed. Yeah, warmonger. And finally he had his way. And uh, <laughs> they crushed it. And so that's why there's the Cato Institute still, which is, of course, right-wing think tank. Once that domino falls, the Carthaginians, they were basically the last thing that was able to mm-hmm. stop uh, Roman uh, advance in the Mediterranean. The Third Punic War ends in 146 BC when Carthage is destroyed. And in that same year is also the Battle of Corinth when uh, Macedon is basically defeated by the Romans. And so then they start asserting themselves in Greece. Then there's still a bunch of other city-states and territories that they have to mop up. And that sort of keeps going until Caesar's time. Yeah, and in that time they also take control of the Levant, or the ancient land uh, of Israel and Judea. Okay, so now we are with uh, Caesar and Cleopatra. Rex Harrison as Julius Caesar, who ruled half the world by sheer might. Those ballistas need eliminating. Send out a turtle. A lot of (laughs) movies about Rome, American movies about Rome, surprisingly come out in the 50s and the 60s, just when America is becoming uh, an empire and how the Pax Americana is now based on tanks and bombs. And in the movie, uh, Caesar makes a reference that uh, the law is basically based on the Roman lance. So basically, now that America is Rome, now is a good time to make a lot of movies about it. And the set, how about the set? What are the, the sets of all, the, the, all, all these oldies that we watched are incredible. Sure. Incredible. It's not like CGI'd everything that it feels like uh, not real. Yes. So this is something that uh, clearly uh, Hollywood is going the wrong way. Wow. Like there's some scenes in Cleopatra wow. are just so epic. Like when uh, Liz Taylor enters Rome and she's sort of dragged wow. in there. Massive crowds of people, just gigantic sphinx being pulled in Cina uh, Città in uh, Rome, near Rome. And just the scale of that is just insane. And today it will be all CGI'd and it would feel like an fake. alien world or something fake. Yeah, something like it wouldn't be as grand. No. Nope. Because you would nope. need like a thousand extras and to actually build this and pull it and not just be in a green room. It's like the uh, Colosseum in Gladiator. Like it feels a little fake, doesn't it? The big yeah. shots, it's obvious CGI and not really good CGI either. And it's, yeah. Yeah, I think Gladiator is to blame for a lot of it because I remember first seeing Gladiator and it did seem real to me. At the time, I was like, wow. Mm. But now, when I watch it now, it's like, hmm. And when I go back to watch the older movies, now, you know, now they feel awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Now you notice it more like, wow, this is incredible. This is real. Yeah. yeah. So this is another uh, ancient uh, world that has uh, died. Ancient Hollywood. <laughs> and they actually, you know, when Americans oh, be actually built sad. stuff. That these sets are built by Italians. Now. <laughs> <laughs> hey. So I, I liked uh, uh, a lot of references uh, in this movie about this combination of... Hellenistic and uh, and the ancient yes. Egyptian world with the upper Egypt and the lower Egypt, so, like something that has been a constant for thousands of years. Even though it's not like super present in their culture, it's still there that they are part of something old and ancient. You all look so impressive. Any one of you could be king. His Divine Majesty, my Lord Ptolemy, Lord of the Upper Regions and of the Lower Regions, son of Ra, of Horus and of Thoth, beloved of Ta, etc., etc., you welcome me. There's a lot of like, nice touches where you also can see how much workmanship went into that. Just even when they do the arrival and there's this big bronze beetle, like a scarab, and then two slaves have to hammer it and go boing. Somebody made that. 
out of bronze for that film. And it's a gigantic object. That's pretty awesome. I don't think they would do that anymore. So this is all taking place in Alexandria. This is, yeah. So Alexandria founded by Alexander the Great, obviously, and ruled by a lineage who were Macedonians. Like, uh, I, I guess now this is almost toxic to say, but the Ptolemaics were from the Balkans. Right? They were very white, obviously. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just uh, in Berlin at the Neues Museum. Uh, there's a very large ancient Egyptian uh, exhibit exhibition there. And you see the busts, the heads of several pharaohs, uh, you know, set in chronological order. And you see black person, black person, black person, black person, 10, 12 busts in a row, all kinds of black people. Then a bust that is clearly <laughs> of a white person. You look down and say, ah, Ptolemaic pharaoh. Hmm. I think they were very inbred, basically. Like they, they married among the Macedonian elite. Right, and Cleopatra was different in that sense that she was like, no, I'm going to be, I'm not an island. No man is an island, no woman is an island. Now I'm going to be part of my surrounding. And I actually learned that she spoke seven languages, mm -hmm. including Hebrew. Yeah. I think it shows like the, the connection that is still there to the ancient world and the ancient Near East. She is now considering herself to be of the lineage of Isis, and she is Isis, she is the old Egyptian uh, goddess, and she speaks the language of the people. And Alexander's mantle. Too heavy for Caesar. His dream then. Make his dream yours, Caesar. His grand design. Pick it up where he left off. Out of the patchwork of conquest. One world. Not a one world, one nation. One people on earth living in peace. So you have told me at last what it is you want of me. Of us. And the center, the capital of this one world, one people, one nation. Alexandria? He chose it. I am Roman. He was Greek. What will it matter when we're all one people? I am 52. He was 32 and failed. We will succeed. Four hours long. Mm -hmm. Four hours long. Oh, yeah. And it's got the intermission and the overture. Uh, yeah, everything is in there. <laughs> it was painful. It just went on for too long, even though the acting was good. Mm -hmm. I have no qualms about the actor, like the actor yeah. of uh, Marcus Antonios. I thought he did a really good job, or Mark Anthony. Mark Anthony. For some reason. <laughs> we, we don't know why <laughs> he's remembered that way. Yeah, he's good. He's good. He's though. good. And Caesar was also cool. He's kind of better than Caesar, I would say. More dramatic. The other day I went uh, to the uh, National Museum of Antiquities mm -hmm. here in Holland, because now we can go back to museums. And they have a reconstruction of Caesar's face, which kind of looks like the wax museum type of uh, faces, so relatively realistic. And it looks kind of like this, uh, this actor that they cast uh, in, in this film. But obviously, Mark Anthony is Richard Burton, famously. Ah, Richard Burton, okay. That's why he did a good job, because he's a good actor. <laughs> They were the generations Brangelina and a whole lot more. Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, a love affair that started with this kiss from the movie Cleopatra and continued through two marriages and two divorces. See that moment Elizabeth was talking about. Uh, when they left their respective husbands and wives on the set of Cleopatra, decided to get together, it was the scandal of the decade. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, she was uh, condemned by the Vatican in the Vatican newspaper. Uh, uh, in the congressional record, uh, a congresswoman named Iris Blitch, who is famous only for condemning the Burtons, uh, for Elizabeth Taylor, for, uh, um, uh, for her relationship uh, with the Burton. And um, it was the most notorious scandal that had ever hit Hollywood, and it was part of the international gossip of, of its day. And, and, what did all and the director is uh, Joseph L. Mankiewicz, who is a relative of uh, Ben Mankiewicz of the Young Turks, right? Ah, he's his uncle. Something like that. Yeah, okay, that's the guy. So he needs an editor. He needs an, an editor for this movie, like yes. badly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So another thing that I liked is that 
when when as you mentioned uh, Cleopatra has a grand visit in Rome mm-hmm. for them this is a visit from the past and they look at this whole world as something that is ancient not in a good way like they look at themselves as the rational rational Romans like oh look at this is very colorful this is all very nice and the people love it mm-hmm. and haha but it's not serious but also obscurantist obscurantist uh, and kind of uh, manipulative yes. manipulative yeah and this movie like blames everything on on la femme Cherchez la femme wow in a bad in mm-hmm. <laughs> went all in like Mark Anthony he takes responsibility mm-hmm. for nothing <laughs> this movie is like I didn't Yeah, this is you, basically. He can't help himself. You made me yeah. do it. Look what you made me do. <laughs> Time for what? For Mark Anthony to appear in shining armor, swords flashing in both hands. Pfft, Agrippa. Pfft, Octavian. Stand back, rejoice. Mark Anthony will save the day. Anthony, you say, he died at Actium, running away. He tried to run on the water, the story goes. But you were not there to hold his hand. Oh, you begged forgiveness from me for running away. You wept and gave your reason. A mother to a child, a queen to a country. Where and how can I weep and beg? From whom? The thousands and thousands who can no longer hear me. Shall I give my reason? Shall I say simply, I loved. When I saw you go, I saw nothing. Felt heard. Thought nothing except your going. Not the dying and dead. Not Rome. Not Egypt. Not victory or defeat. Honor or disgrace. Friend, enemy, future or past. Only that my love was going and that I must be with her. That my love, my master called. And I followed. And that only then I looked back. And I saw how right you were. Have as your master anyone. You know, look at these documents to see, wow, back in the day, people blamed women for, for a lot of things that wasn't their fault. Probably we should, uh, let's uh, mention the historical uh, context. So Caesar, he, there's a civil war in Europe. He wins yes. that. Pompeius Magnus flees to mm-hmm. Egypt, gets mm-hmm. killed. Caesar's, Caesar follows him. Yeah. Uh, just as Caesar is there, there is a political crisis, a constitutional crisis, because the father of Cleopatra mm-hmm. and his uh, son Ptolemy the 13th, is he? So, so, so yeah, whatever, some Ptolemy, yeah. just a kid. He says, okay, you guys rule together. Always a great idea when a lot of people around you are whispering in your ear that you should do this and you should do that. So the kid, the Ptolemy the 13th, He's uh, very pliable because he's just a kid. And the uh, civil yeah. war ensues and Caesar inserts himself into it. Uh, in, the, in this movie, unlike what we see in HBO Rome, he's also being manipulated uh, into it by Cleopatra, uh, who makes a grand entrance uh, showing off her uh, behind. <laughs> <laughs> This is like the 1963 adaptation of the famous story that Cleopatra was snuck into Caesar's room inside a carpet. Are you the one who brings a gift from Cleopatra? Then put it down and go. It is the command of my queen that I deliver a gift personally to Caesar. That rug seems harmless enough. No, Caesar. But you can lend me your sword, Rufio. It may require some cutting. If I may untie it for you. Turn it over first. But the rug is now right side up. I understand, but I want it the wrong side up. Or should I flip it over with my sword? No, no, no. I find one can tell more about the quality of merchandise by examining the uh, backside first. All hail Cleopatra, kindred of Horus and Ra, beloved of the moon and sun, daughter to Isis, and of upper and lower Egypt, queen... <laughs> that scene is so cringe. Oh, the, the, he said 
he sets it up. Oh, I want to see the backside. And then there's Liz Taylor, her yeah. bum sticking up in the air. And oh, isn't that funny? Ha ha ha. It's, 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 and it's, it's like inconsistent <laughs> with what we learn about her character from that po- point on because she yeah. is extremely forceful. Yeah. And very charismatic, and the first meeting, the first time you see her, she just looks looks foolish. So that's like yeah. uh, your sexism is, uh, you know, undercutting congruent with the rest of the narrative. Yeah. Also. yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah. after Caesar gets uh, shanked by inserting herself into Roman politics, marrying the dictator, then when that dictator gets mm-hmm. killed, she's. Uh, She's just like uh, anybody else, and she aligns herself with uh, Marcus Antonius. And once they lose in the Battle of Actium, 30, I think, BCE, or 32, something, uh, 31, there, once that happens, there's no going back. And it actually could have gone another way. It could have gone another way. Well, exactly. I mean, they, they even, she had a kid with yes. Caesar. So had they won this battle, like won, won it enough in order to just consolidate and prevent uh, Roman conquest, then the entire world history would have been different. And I think if I remember correctly, mm. there were like strong winds at Actium at that time. And like, it wasn't clear that they were going to lose. Maybe some misunderstanding with, uh, between the, the ships and in the movie it's uh, portrayed as if she thinks, Cleopatra thinks that uh, Marcus Antonius is dead and then she goes back, but in fact he's not dead and when he's retreating then everything's lost. And just to think about all the possibilities, if you had two empires and this uh, more native uh, eastern empire uh, who knows who knows and battle of actium may be worth pointing out that then who emerges victorious is octavian who then basically becomes the first emperor yeah forgot to mention who, who was the winner i was uh, i'm i'm more focused on the losers <laughs> mark anthony is lost that's also very sad Gil. yeah I'm not, i wasn't <laughs> so sad about that it actually it's like it took like an hour of the movie for both of them to kill each other to kill themselves Drama was, uh, dr- you know, dragged out or whatever. Ugh. Yeah, wow, wow. It was painful. And, and, it, and that also made me sad because this is, it could have been a really, really good movie. Well, it is a really good movie, but it needs mm-hmm. some editing. Huh? But just like cut out like an hour and a half of it. At like, least. Not just like some editing, just like a lot of editing. Or, or just like cut it out into two parts. I guess uh, back then they didn't, uh, studios weren't thinking. I think it only started with The Godfather. When you had part two and the stuff. Yeah, they could have done the Caesar part yeah. and then the Mark Anthony part. And it's just two separate films. Yeah, and that would have been great. And then you can even make it longer. Yeah. And you end the first one with uh, the murder, well, assassination of uh, Caesar. That's super climatic. And the second one with the uh, Shakespeare, uh, Romeo and Juliet thing going. Ah, oh, your lover is dead. Okay, I'll kill myself. Ah, oh, no, she's not dead. Okay, I'll kill myself now. Oh, you, you had that vibe too. Uh, yeah, yeah, I also thought this is so Romeo and Juliet-ish. Uh, yeah, did he, yeah. Did, did he take it, did, did he pick it up from here? Because this is really just like exactly the same. Uh, I don't think Shakespeare took it from Joseph Mankiewicz. No, but this is uh, like the official story is that Marcus Antonius thought that Cleopatra had killed herself. He kills himself and then she takes a snake and either whatever in the in the movie she doesn't put it in in her neck she just touches it and then killed by that just like the the misunderstanding slash suicide is, seems to me seems to be the exact uh, same thing yeah, yeah, yeah. okay uh, there was one uh, just for me to cap uh, to cap off uh, this movie one line that I liked, uh, they talked about the lords and the gods and like this, the, the Romans only have one lord that they will never betray and that is victory. Mm-hmm. This is, yeah, I think she really understood the, the Romans and the, the writer who put uh, the words in her mouth. Uh, that was a good one, I thought. Yeah. And then it's become Mara Nostrum. Now it becomes an era of minor rebellions of uh, these peoples. Everywhere. And these peoples, yeah. and not like a yeah. giant war against a kingdom that uh, is, yeah. could be a threat to you. Uh, okay, so you want to move to uh, one of the Jesus movies? 
Sure. There's also The Last Temptation of Christ by Martin Scorsese. Well, you are Jesus of Nazareth, aren't you? Yes, I am. Well, that's what they're saying. You are the king, the Messiah. It's also said that you do miracles. Is this good magic or bad magic? Could we have some kind of uh, demonstration? I mean, can you do a trick for me now, say? I'm not a magician. Well, that's disappointing. This means that you're just another Jewish politician. When the, the Romans uh, got mad at uh, the unruly Jews and destroyed the temple for the second time and exiled the Jews all over the empire to add insult to injury, they changed the name of, uh, of the area and called it, named it Palestine. There were the Philistines a thousand years before that, right. and they had long since been folded into uh, the, the kingdom of Israel, kingdom of Judea. Then Romans showed up much later. They captured Judea. They struck coins also to celebrate oh, Judea capta. That was a special edition coin. They also have a, like a, in one of their uh, arcs. They have sure. a, oh yeah, the like an image the, of the Jews. Yeah, uh, yeah, losing. Yes, and and the menorah, which is now the seal. Of, uh, yeah, carrying the menorah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, two millennia of humiliation, basically, <laughs> instead of a century. Now, it's now someone else has to pay. It's always yeah. someone else that has to pay for for the slight. What's this then? Romanes, Aeon Thomas. People call Romanes. They go the house. It it says Romans go home. No, it doesn't. <laughs> What's Latin for Roman? Come on, ah, come on. Romanus? Goes like. Annus? Pocketive plural of Annus is. <laughs> Annie? Romani. So this is very interesting how uh, part of the reactions of uh, Roman oppression, basically when we finish this story, the ancient world has died, or has it, much like the Greeks took over the uh, Roman Empire from their advisory roles, the Jews, without even meaning to or wanting to, took over the Roman Empire in terms of its religion that was born from the Jewish and Hebrew religion. So they were cast away from the land, spread all across the world, but they got the last laugh. Uh, I don't know, it was more like a tearful laugh. Insane. Insane, this is insane. It is really weird, and it has to have been like adapted so many times i mean it's it's always been kind of like a, a national ideology um but it needs to have reinvented itself a bunch of times because within the roman empire it first started spreading more as the slave religion yeah so you have to have a lot of slaves yeah for that yeah. and you have to have a lot of different peoples of different cultures that can be combined under one idea that is transnational, that is human, basically. Okay, this is kind of a, a, a segue that I wanted to make a, a point about, which is how Mediterraneans, people from around the Mediterranean, are coded in U.S. media and how contentious that is. Because, well, when you now... In the current discourse, basically, it is the the, boy, or like the assumption is that well, Christian, so what, which is now mostly the European Mediterranean and not the Eastern Mediterranean, like you said, yeah. well, that is coded as white. And then the Muslim side of the Mediterranean is coded as people of color. Right. Even though, for example, Crete, Cyprus, the south of Sicily, is to the south of much of the Maghreb, and the people look basically the same, right? You really cannot tell a Sicilian from a Tunisian, uh, but just the religion is coded as kind yes. of yeah. becoming a skin color, you know? This is culture also, like Eastern Europe, like uh, Vienna is to the east of Prague. Oh, yeah. And Prague was part of the Eastern yeah, of the yeah. Eastern Bloc. It's considered yeah. more Eastern. And in, and you know in Israel, you have basically the main ethnicities Ashkenazi mm. and Mizrahi. 
Mizrahi means Eastern. And the people who are considered Mizrahim, Eastern, you have uh, people who come from uh, Persia, Iran, from Egypt, and from Morocco, <laughs> all, the, yeah. all the way in the Atlantic, <laughs> all yeah. across the Atlantic. They are also Eastern. So yeah. it's just like those who are not like us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Eastern European Jews yeah. were Western. Yeah. But because of the coding, uh, you also get these weird kind of uh, out, people getting outraged over, for example, um, well, Liz Taylor was Cleopatra, uh, Gal Gadot is, is I think, going to play Cleopatra. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna make an episode about that. Yeah, and 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 the kind of the assumption is that well, because Egypt is in Africa, uh, well, Africa must be totally black. Therefore, how can Cleopatra not be black? Oh my God, this is erasure of of African heritage. When that's really not the case, but it's because of the yeah. the side how the sides of the Mediterranean are coded. And actually, and this is then the segue to go to Gladiator. There, it is taken to hilarious extremes. <laughs> Because of the following, so one of his buddies, uh, right, played by Jimon Hunsu, is uh, supposed to be a Numidian gladiator. Don't die. They'll feed you to the lions. They're worth more than we are. African. Yeah, yeah well, a- African, but Numidia, that was the Maghreb. That was just North Africa, which I just mentioned, to the north of Cyprus and mm. Crete. But they did have also some like black people in northern Africa, no? Yeah, but the actor Jimon Hutsu, he's from Benin, right? Right, <laughs> he's Western African, West African. Yes, yeah. very, very sub-Saharan Africa, and we know from uh, ancient DNA that actually the genetics of North Africa was more Mediterranean and let's say less black back then than it is now. Mm. Well, at some point, uh, the Sahara became easier to traverse also because dromedary camels were domesticated and stuff like that. So there was more exchange of people from sub-Saharan Africa to the Mediterranean later on, but not during Roman times as much. Mm. I mean, a little, especially mm. along, the, along the Nile, but not that much. So that was like the golden age for white people, I guess. Well, I guess that depends how you code what white what white is. I mean, they didn't look at it the, the way we do now because whiteness is kind of European colonial construct from the last couple of centuries. Yeah, like we had a we had a discussion a disagreement about whether the Turks. I think the Turks are, white. are white, and then we, they're imperialists. Nah, so. Of course, they're white. They act white. <laughs> <laughs> no. So the moment that you're not 100% white, then you're not just not white. Bring, give me your card. <laughs> you're not you're out of the club. <laughs> just like in the social perceptions, it's just you're, if you don't look like, I guess, North European standard, then you're just like uh, a person of color. You're just like one of everybody else. The yeah. remaining uh, 7 billion. I don't know, man. Like Turks are are pretty light skinned I could pass for a Turk. No, you you would have a very hard time to pass for a Turk. Also, I could be a Turkish model. Okay, but that is because <laughs> only because they appreciate light skin. <laughs> because they have internalized the oppression. Just like by, oh, no. by the way, in India, yeah. you go to you, you go to India. Look at the billboards. Light-skinned Indians on billboards and in sure. commercials, but that's that's not necessarily for only colonial times, right? That's, for example, also in China, light skin is preferred over dark skin because dark skin means you have to work on the land, and you're and you maybe you're kind of southern Chinese, Cantonese, as opposed to Mandarin-speaking uh, Han, and yeah. and that's just uh, yeah, yeah, like being uh, pale would meant that you had a, a comfortable life, but now if you're tanned, yes. it doesn't mean that you plow the fields no it means that you're vacationing in the bahamas so now exactly it's yeah now it's flipped, it flipped again uh, if you're light-skinned that means you have to sit in the office yeah, uh, all day pushing papers day and just like doing something uh useful to society yeah. but this also comes up with the uh the, the the skin tone color comes also up with reconstructions of what jesus must have looked like and that's also kind of so debated uh, uh there was kind of an interesting uh, exchange on Twitter not too long ago where there was this recent reconstruction yeah. of Jesus, a little yeah. bit more darker skin, and how realistic is that? And then 
uh, one of the people who chimed in is this guy, uh, Nassim mm, Nicolas yeah. Taleb. Do you know who he is? Ah, he okay. wrote like the Black Swan, a bunch of other uh, books. Mm. And he posted a photo of just the people that are the city council of Beirut, just to show, well, this is what Canaanites actually look like. But they look like Greeks, right? Yeah, they're very white. Lebanese yeah. are very white. And that could have been what Jesus looked like. Like if you look, for example, at uh, the most visible uh, Lebanese citizen, sadly the most visible, Hassan Nasrallah, just the fact of the clothes that he's wearing in his beard, like... That's the coding, and then he just doesn't look white anymore. That's the he coding. That's whiteness. the religious. Co- yeah, his white yeah, privileges. Yeah, yeah. Again, give me your yeah. card. Yes. Could, we could do a makeover, and he would be fine. <laughs> totally, I think he's also a good-looking fellow. Sure. I think he could. Uh, yeah. Put nice suits, shave, shave the beard a little bit. Just get rid of all the accoutrements. Yeah. And just be normal. Yeah, and also just <laughs> stop being an asshole. And destroying your yeah. own uh, country. Yeah. But I also seen like photoshops of uh, Osama bin Laden uh, westernized. It was a handsome ah, fellow. Yeah, right. He was tall also, right? Yeah, also, yeah, yeah. Ah, I don't know, but at least tall by Israeli standards. I don't know about Dutch standards. He would have done well on like uh, Love Island and stuff. Definitely. Like he, I, he actually did have a Love Island uh, just before he was killed. He had his yeah, own Love like Island. It was an island, inland <laughs> island, but uh, a lot of really cool stuff was going on there that wasn't how the prophet said that you should act. <laughs> uh, a little hot up. So, you know, I, when I travel in Spain, Italy, France, uh, all these places, I will be mistaken on the street uh, for a local. Sure. In, in Poland, when I was in Poland, when, back when I had a lot of curls, uh, people were looking at me. I felt like <laughs> how black people must feel like when they're walking in the street. Like everybody was looking at me. I'm from Turkey, but before that, 500 mm-hmm. years before that, from Spain, and after Turkey, Lebanon. And then here in Israel and in Egypt, my grandfather uh, studied in Egypt. So back then, this was all like, again, a continuous uh, sphere. Now it's not anymore. We're stuck in, <laughs> in between the, 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 all the sides. And uh, yeah, nobody seems to like uh, anybody. Uh, so the, the gesticulating and the interrupting people that's just been bred into yes. you for millennia. Yeah. <laughs> You can't help it. <laughs> no, but we get along uh, with each other one-on-one. Absolutely. Like when I meet a Mediterranean person, I feel like we have the same uh, temperament. In Greece, I feel super comfortable. Uh-huh. Like the Greeks, they're not yeah. overly polite. This is overly polite from my perspective, right? Like very little etiquette mm-hmm. but you can feel like the good vibes and they talk to the point and they say how they feel you know not in a negative way they're basically like israelis minus uh, the anger issues <laughs> anger management issues that we have <laughs> okay life is hard okay so you want to end this process of uh, the demise slash re-emergence mm-hmm. of the old world ancient world with uh, what, now it's one of my favorite movies, Agora. War is brewing. I know. I know. Then swear your loyalty to me. To the Empire, do it. Condemn him or get out. I will do it. On my knees, if necessary. And not only that. In a few days, I can gather other bishops from the province and the monks from the desert, all against Cyril. First, I must ask you a question. Orestes, do you believe in Jesus? Do I what? Do you believe in Jesus? Do I what? Are you a true Christian? Or did you, like so many others, only convert to prosper in politics? Why didn't you kneel? What choice did I have? Why didn't you kneel? What choice did I have? Betray Hypatia. Condemn her. Would you have done that? I would never offend God. Oh, it's him. He's offending God. He is offending him. He's twisting, twisting his words. He's using the scripture. He read what he's written. It's an excellent example of this, just this grinding of uh, cultures, mixing them up, 
and uh, forging new uh, identities out of bits and bobs that come from different backgrounds. And I think that's very nicely done. Very nicely done. And look at the Jews there, how they are dressed. Mm-hmm. And contrast that to the stereotypical Jew that uh, you think about, uh, let's say, that the, the statuettes of Jews that they sell in Poland, probably no more will stop selling them because they're anti-Semitic. It's an ultra-Orthodox Jew. In Venice, I also saw, did I tell you that mm. you could, that because the mm. glass blowing is like a famous Venetian art, so you can buy a glass Jew in Venice for the ment- as a mantelpiece. Oh, oh no. What no. the fuck? Don't do that anymore. So uh, I was walking around in Krakow, all the cafes and restaurants. This and, we, and 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 this was like the Jewish quarter, which used to be like a Jewish separate town. Everybody died. It's right near Auschwitz, and now they're selling trinkets of the Jews. <laughs> that was it. Whatever. So, to your point about mixing cultures, the Jews in Alexandria go takes place in Alexandria. Prefect, they carry stones. And now they burst into the theater and they stone us, knowing we will do nothing to defend ourselves because it is the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, you should honor God in your synagogues instead of stuffing yourselves with sweets at the theater. That is why the stones fell upon you. Prefect, you hear that? Now he's threatening us. This is too much! Friends, there are more things that unite us than divide us. We are brothers. We're all brothers. Where would you Christians be without the Jews? Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew! They don't dress like people in Lithuania and Poland dressed later. It wasn't really cold. They didn't need all all these coats. (laughs) It it, It was more colorful. It's cool to look at the world back in the day. Like but the, the, the mixing of these religions is so, so cool in this film, right? Because already, like what used to be the dominant religion there was also a total construct, right? The worship of uh, Serapis was constructed by the uh, Hellenists. Oh God, our Father, Lord of the Universe, Origin of all things, eternal force of the cosmos, where everything has its beginning and everything its end. Almighty Serapis, Isis, Horus, Anubis. Uh, Serapis was basically uh, Apis and uh, Osiris, uh, two uh, gods from the Egyptian pantheon, and they'd become one person who then is displayed as kind of a Greek god with a flower pot on his head. And that was supposed to be kind of a focal point where the Egyptians and the Hellenes could have their shared uh, religious identity and their shared worship. And then that is kind of falling by the wayside because then the next big thing is coming, which is Christianity, which is also a construct, right? The movie starts in in kind of a weird uh, timeline that... Okay, all these Christians that we used to butcher and they had to pray in secret, uh, let's go and kill them. And this is like a very big mistake. <laughs> right, off, right off the bat when the movie starts, apparently there are a lot of Christians. And again about the color coding. So like one of the main uh, Christians in the movie, he's uh, played by Yosef Swade, uh, an Israeli Arab, Israeli Palestinian. I don't know how he uh, identifies, but uh, he's an Israeli citizen with a Palestinian, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so he he he's there. I saw him. He was he had trouble cheering when they were uh, <laughs> blaming the Jews for everything and going to kill them. He, I specifically, <laughs> that's when I looked at him in, like, in the shot, and I was like, how hard are you going to celebrate? And uh, How happy do you look? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He looked conflicted. <laughs> so I was like, okay. It is God's will that they live as slaves, cursed and exiled until the end of time. But, uh, he's a great, he, he seems to be a great guy, very oh. politically active. I like him. Oh. I think he's married okay. to a Jew, Yosef, okay. and living in Germany. Okay. So the Christians in this film, just uh, all the time, I'm just thinking it's the Taliban. It's the Taliban. Taliban. 
Yeah, yeah. but that's an interesting <laughs> play, I think. Like, like they like they fuck yeah. with your brain because they don't look like your regular yeah. Christian. They're all in black. This is ancient world people. And it was pretty established by then, right? Uh, Christianity also in terms of the doctrines. It was after the Council of Nicaea. So they had the Holy Trinity. Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff was already ironed out. They did an incredible job just getting through that hurdle mm -hmm. that the Muslims weren't able to... Like they managed to keep the religion together for some more time. Because there were yeah. all well, these factions. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose there's been a bunch of schisms. But, uh, yeah. yeah, just like the major ones, Reformation comes uh, much later. Yeah, also with the Orthodoxy, right? It's earlier. Right, the Orthodox, the Orthodox yeah. I guess because uh, the Western uh, Christians didn't have uh, strong enough armies back then to fight the Byzantines, so it was more like a, a disagreement from afar. Let's agree to disagree, like, <laughs> and not let's kill each other because... Uh, we'll get you one day. <laughs> yeah, one day. And then in the end, that happens. Right? The horses in Venice on the St. Mark's Square are horses that were taken from uh, Constantinople during, what is it, the Fourth Crusade? Bring them back. And also, I loved, and I did remember it from the first time I watched it, all these shots from space looking at Earth really mm. brings you into mm. the mood of... Everything that is going on, like it has like this look and feel that is, uh, is special. I highly recommend it. And so another uh, mm -hmm. mindfuck, when they're destroying the, the library of Alexandria, in that scenario, I guess nobody knows if it was destroyed many times, several libraries, when it happened, whatever. In the movie, it happens uh, there. They're all mm -hmm. screaming, hallelujah, like, okay, we destroyed all the pagan gods. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah is hallelujah. Yeah, praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh, a certain local God <laughs> that is not the general omnipotent God. It's a local God. So as you are celebrating your victory over paganism, you are shouting words of a pagan religion. So that was uh, kind of funny. God is great. God is great. That's what you shout when you destroy somebody else's religion. And it's, it also shows, like, um, the main bishop, like the asshole bishop, Cyril, he, he becomes a saint, right? And that's so weird, like, looking back, like, at all the expressions, oh, he's a saint, he's a great person. And then the history is actually, well, he burned the Jews of Alexandria, yeah. and that's why he's a saint. <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> There's a lot, like that label of sainthood covers a lot of bad shit here. It's doing a lot of work. Yeah, because being, because being a saint means something today, and being a saint back in the day yeah. meant something else, yeah. like killing Jews. I guess it's a, it's a good way to, to become a saint. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and as they're burning and destroying all the scrolls and books in the library of Alexandria, I was like, do you know that... Three, four, five, eight hundred years from now, Christians like you will work hours upon hours copying those same things that <laughs> that you just destroyed now. That you know some people managed yeah. to whatever get with them as they were fleeing uh, the Christian mob, and and then that whole scene ends with uh, the camera going doing a one eighty. It's very, it's a very good movie. It's a, it's it's, it's a labor of love. Like I, I could feel the love in the movie. Yeah. Uh, just it was annoying that the Romans had a British accent and Oscar Isaac's Isaac. Why does he have to speak with a British accent? Why can't he speak like the like the other ones, the plebs? You who console yourselves with pagan images, men, women, birds, reptiles, Serapis, Serapis. Who could trust a god with a flower pot for a crown? Oh, you Christians! How arrogant you've become now that the empire allows you to exist. So it, it, it looks like it's a, it's a religious war, but it's also like a class war. And it's also a war of philosophies, right? The, the main character is uh, Hypatia, uh, who is a, f a philosopher played by Rachel Weisz. And she is, during the course of the movie, basically working out the heliocentric model 
where the uh, Earth actually uh, r- rotates around the Sun and then in the shape of an ellipse. We don't really know if she had ever worked that out or not. But what you mentioned about those shots from space are kind of references to that as well, right? To like how the planets yeah. move and how small our our yeah. little struggles are uh, in this great system of yeah. these moving bodies with epicycles or not, and this massive scale. Uh, it's nicely done. Yeah, very nicely done. Now that you mention it, I'm also I'm also thinking like now we used to ha- we're used to having uh, this image in our you know popular popular imagination and memory of space and Earth, and then you zoom in and they zoom into the ancient world. So this is also kind of a mind fuck. Like space hasn't changed, Earth hasn't changed. The whatever the landmass, mm-hmm. it's all pretty much the same. Yeah. Then you zoom in and you think, oh, you know, you're gonna zoom into New York, yeah. whatever, London or Hong Kong. No, you zoom into fourth century Alexandria, people killing each other over some bullshit. Yeah, right. Yeah, that image of Earth as this ball that you can zoom in on that feels very space age, twentieth, twenty first century, yeah. and then yeah, you could zoom in on antiquity actually. Yeah talk a little bit about how this uh, ancient uh, eastern religion basically uh, usurped the pyramid of power in this roman empire once the, you know, the roman empire just gobbled up this ancient world but some germs were there infected the, the population with uh, some uh, ancient ideas that metastasized into this uh, one religion but uh, the Mediterranean is especially uh, layered in that sense, in that there's remains of Bronze Age, Iron Age, antiquity, the Islamic period, modernity, colonialism, yeah. up to capitalism now, and it's all side by side, right? You can get a Starbucks and go look at the Roman Forum and stuff like that, right? And there's, there's all these yeah. kind of intermingling layers, and it's it sort of like that kind of circles back to this this intro that I had about also the geomorphology and the physical uh, geography. There's this constant grinding where things are moving and, and generating this big diversity within which new ideas can arise and spread. And Ah, we want to give a shout out to... Uh to two new patrons, uh, Data, Data Port Doll, Data Port Doll, and Gilad Horowitz. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. So we'll see you all next time. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.